Hello there, space fans, and welcome to a very special edition of the Supercluster podcast. We have a very special guest in the studio today, Samantha Cole, who is a full-timer at Vice Motherboard and writes about the intersection of sex, tech, and society. Is that correct? That's correct. Thank you for being here. I know how busy you are. <laughs> You're you. always doing crazy stories and breaking crazy stories. I always have time for you guys. So. Thank you. And you are a former space reporter, but also current space reporter because <laughs> you write for Supercluster. <laughs> That's correct. You and I share a really cool backstory that we didn't know about until we started hanging out and we became friends. Sam and I were at the OSIRIS-REx launch which was a mission, or still is a mission, to intercept asteroid Bennu and collect regolith, which is basically dirt and sand on the surface of this asteroid. And what's special about this asteroid, it's, it's been zooming around our solar system since its birth, probably between four to five billion years. You know, when you think of asteroid Bennu or any asteroid like it, it's like a giant tape recorder flying through the solar system. You want to capture what's on it because that can help us learn about the origins of our solar system, our galaxy, whatever, something we know very little about. But Sam, how the hell did you end up at that mission? Were you a space reporter at the time? I wasn't. I was aspiring to be. Aspiring. That was 2017, mm. uh, which feels like a long time ago. But... It is a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I was working at a small like consultancy shop yeah. doing social media, and I was interested in space stuff, and I saw one of the NASA socials come up. For Florida, and I convinced my boss at the time to let me go down because I was running our social media. Mm-hmm. And he did, and I met a bunch of cool people there. I did not meet you there, which is very weird, but you were there. I was get, being heard around I am with that the guy that tries people. to meet everybody, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the, little, the social car- right. caravan. Right. But, yeah, it was a really cool launch. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Dante Loretta, yeah. who's the principal investigator. Such a cool guy. Yeah. It went off without a hitch. Yeah, it was a perfect launch. The mission so far has been relatively smooth. There's been a couple of delays, a couple days here, and that's always going to happen with a mission this complicated. And I think the only other large agency attempting this is JAXA, the Japanese. They reached... I can't pronounce the name of the asteroid. Raigu? Raigu. I probably have said it wrong. (laughs) Right. And (laughs) if we said that incorrectly, feel free to send us an email. But... (laughs) The Japanese have reached that asteroid. They are also collecting samples for return to Earth at some point, which is really cool that we're finally going to have. We have, you know, we have meteorites and things that we collect from the immediate. We have moon particles and things like that. But to have five billion year old sampling that could teach us a lot that we just don't know. And it's just like the one part of asteroids that's exciting. You know what the other part is? That they can kill us all. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Now, we published an article this week. Let me get the headline right. 90s disaster movies might actually save the planet. Now, this was a really fun article to edit. It's it's super, super clustery, the story, because you're at the intersection of popular culture and science. Um, If you haven't read the article yet, please pause this podcast and go read it because there's going to be some spoilers. (laughs) But um, the best lead, I'm so proud that I got to edit a Samantha Cole lead because your leads are famous at Vice Motherboard. But your lead had Bruce Willis in it. Yeah. And made a reference to Michael Bay, who if you know who Michael Bay is, you know what an explosion is. And you've sat in a movie theater and probably gotten a headache like I have (laughs) watching an endless array of Michael Bay explosions. Now, when it comes to Michael Bayism or Bayhem, 
Let's call it Bayhem. Wow. Coined a word right yeah. now. Bayhem. Armageddon. It is the pinnacle of this ridiculousness. Now, this is the first time a Michael Bay movie, or the only time I would say so far, where the the story is just as insane as the action that you're watching oh, yeah. on screen. So do you can you set up this premise for us? Yeah, so basically, <laughs> and I just watched it a couple weeks ago and it still was like borderline incomprehensible and mm. I've watched this movie many times over the course of my life, but basically <laughs> they see, scientists see an asteroid coming mm-hmm. and they're like, shit, what do we do? Right. And they need to drop a bomb into it, drill into it and drop a bomb is what they decide is the way to go about right. blowing this thing up so it doesn't hit Earth, which as we'll probably discuss is... A flawed idea. Anyway, (laughs) but they go with it. They're like, we don't know what else to do. We have like three days to live or something. So they find the best oil drillers on the planet, which is Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck. I think Steve Buscemi. Mm -hmm. There's like a bunch of people. Owen Wilson. (laughs) Yes, uh, everybody's in it. Owen Wilson's great in it, and I can't stand Owen Wilson. Liv Tyler, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like a Liv Tyler's in it. Like, yeah, and it's just um, Liv Tyler. Yeah, (laughs) and they. They enlist these oil drillers to become astronauts because they're like, we got to teach these drillers who are the best at what they do to drill through an asteroid. A thing that no one has ever been to. Yeah. And land on it. Right. And it's very close to Earth. Land on another planetary body. Exactly. Years after we have not gone to the moon. (laughs) Right. Yeah. This is is the 90s. So that's the plan. Spoiler alert. It works. Mm Mm-hmm. They, they, they suddenly, pull it off. They have two space shuttles, the Freedom and the Independence. They I do. Think. I think one, doesn't one blow up? One blows up on the way there. The yeah. whole, like most of the crew dies. Right. A lot of people die. Bruce Willis dies. Bruce Willis dies. That's the, that's the, that's the part that you wrote about in your story that really sad. stayed with you was <laughs> Ben Affleck, who, who drew the short stick. Yes. He was going to be the one to he die was gonna on, be the, the, on the asteroid, to sacrifice make, his life. Right. But Bruce Willis was like, well, my daughter likes him and they're yeah. going to get married. So let me make the sacrifice. And yeah. then they do this crazy like flash. It's like his la- life flashes before his eyes. Yeah. It's very like, bam, bam, yeah. bam, my life. Like They detonate the nuclear. Well, Bruce Willis detonates the nuclear bomb and it splits in half and misses Earth. Yeah. It's like they don't even really show it missing Earth. They, it explodes. And the last thing you see is like the scientists are celebrating and stuff. Yeah, and, like, you see like, a computer relieved. screen. Yeah, right. and like they, it's like there's an explosion like in the sky, mm-hmm. which is still like you're still really have, close, really close. Yeah. Like you're still dealing with like a lot of like particles and things that are gonna right. hit Earth, like a million things. I mean, Paris, as we talked about, gets so destroyed that in, the in the beginning. Yeah, and I, <laughs> in the beginning of the movie, I think this is how the movie like starts. There's. No, wait, there's like a scene in New York or I think it's New York where like a couple of basketball size. Like, yeah, big parts, things start hitting New York. And then like a bigger one hits Paris and like destroys Paris. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, that's bad. Yeah. We should do something about this. Right. So on a bigger macro scale, society watched the this movie and they were like, oh, damn, asteroids are pretty dangerous. Yeah. Now there was another film that year. Called Deep Impact, mm-hmm. which, which came out a couple months before Armageddon. A couple months before, Armageddon. but it didn't get as much of a right. Well, it didn't have Bruce Willis in it, right? And um, everybody it else, <laughs> yeah, everyone else in Hollywood was in that movie. <laughs> but just funny enough, 
Hollywood loves to put out dueling movies. They had yeah. the asteroid dueling movies, the volcano dueling movies. So there's always dueling movies. It was like a wasn't there like a mining movie? Also? Yeah, yeah. There's there's always so, like, like the center of the earth movies. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Like oh a whole God. genre. <laughs> yes, there's a whole. Yes, but Hollywood loves to greenlight two of the same movies. So this year we got Deep Impact and Armageddon. Yeah. So Deep Impact came out first, like you said. This film involved more practical ways of dealing with this asteroid problem, I want to say. So in this film, the way they discovered the asteroid is based on a real, sort of real, like they name it, the way mm -hmm. they named the asteroid, they name it after the people who discovered it. Mm -hmm. But this asteroid was a global killer, just like the one in Armageddon. And NASA puts together a mission. This is basically a bunch of big bombs, right, again? Yeah. On a giant spaceship. Yeah, they're going to like send out a bunch of... Spaceships loaded with bombs mm -hmm. and to just try to deflect it. Deflect it off its course. Yeah. Now, upon your research, which <laughs> one was the more realistic? I at the time scientists thought that deep in impact was more mm -hmm. scientifically sound. Right. Because neither putting, of them were very good. Right. Just putting pre like exerting pressure on one side of an asteroid could mm -hmm. possibly move it. That's something that they're studying right now. And which kind of makes sense. But the Armageddon version just seems like a million pieces also falling toward Earth. Right, yeah. I mean, it also, I mean, if you see an asteroid that's that close within three days of it hitting or whatever it was in Armageddon, like it was like late. a week or something. <laughs> right. It was too late. We are talking about like 20 years of lead time is what we would need currently for a lot of the methods that we have available now. <laughs> right. And that's just still diverted off the path enough that by the time it gets here, it won't hit us. Now, so. in the movie Armageddon, they don't tell the public until like day of or something. Yeah. Which, because they don't want to start a panic. Mm -hmm. Now, in Deep Impact, the world finding out is woven into the story. Mm -hmm. This is the character played by Tia Leone. She's an MSNBC reporter. She reports on like government stuff. And she gets a scoop about this story that an asteroid's heading toward the planet. And like the White House asks her to not break the story and embargoes her and offers her a scoop. So this reporter is in the White House press briefing, which before Trump used to be all the time, there used to be press briefings. We don't have those anymore. And she gets the first question, like, what is Ellie? It's like, I yeah, think doesn't was, she think it's like someone's like, yeah, like an affair, affair or something, or yeah, like a daughter, like some, right. something right. scandalous. Yeah, because there was an abrupt resignation and yeah. a bunch of weird things happen. And the president in this film is Morgan Freeman, which is awesome. <laughs> and he's like basically picks her and and that that's how they break the news to the public. But it's really interesting to think about how that story would happen in real life. Would it be a space reporter? Would it be a government reporter, a defense reporter? Who would find that out first? You know, and there are, as you mentioned in your articles, organizations that watch the sky, right? Yeah. And are we watching it enough? <laughs> I just I think feel we're, like <laughs> we're watching it as much as we like possibly can with like what little funding there is available for this sort of thing. And also just for how big the sky is. The few of the people that I talked to said that they had they had surveyed, you know, a huge amount of the sky just in the last twenty years since mm -hmm. this at first like become their mandate to start doing that. I mean, watching for near Earth objects is a pretty recent study. It was just in the late eighties that we even in the early nineties that we even really realized that 
something could hit a planet. I think before that it was not really proven or it was kind of a theory. And then a few scientists saw an asteroid hit Jupiter. Right. And realized that, oh, shit, this could be Earth. Something could hit us, too. We could. Yeah. We should probably. And if it's something that size hit Jupiter and created such an impact, it mm-hmm. would completely just blow through Earth. Like, it would destroy it. It's kind of wild to think that we didn't realize this was really a problem. Right. Until, until the 90s. The 90s? I mean, asteroids yeah. are, and, and the objects that we're talking about, comparative in size, are super hard to see. I mean, we didn't start seeing objects like Pluto, Neptune, clearly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Until we had telescopes and things like that. So Yeah, I mean, that was when, I mean, it was the late 90s when Congress kind of told NASA, you need to find and catalog 90% of what's within a, kil- a kilometer in size mm-hmm. within 10 years, which is pretty small. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's that was a huge, huge mandate. But So going back to Jupiter. Yeah. The astronomers, were they astronomers? Gene Shoemaker and David Levy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this was sort of the first time they saw a one-mile diameter comet impact the surface. Right. And it left them shook. They were like, "Yeah, <laughs> well, if an object can hit Jupiter, then what does that mean for us? Yeah. It, it could be catastrophic for us. So that was July 1992. It's crazy to think that this didn't happen until the early 90s, or we mm-hmm. didn't notice it happening until the early 90s. So you said that Congress requested money to do this, find a catalog 90% of the sky. So what do they refer? They refer to these objects as near-Earth objects, which I guess could refer to anything on this side of the asteroid belt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> anything that can, like, be pushed by gravity or the sun's gravity well and end up in Earth's orbit at some right. point. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Now, what is your – now, give me your take on this because you're not a space reporter currently. Like, you do – you report on a lot of different things, technology and society. Let's say tomorrow one of our space reporter friends was like hey, – broke a story and said, hey, there's an asteroid heading toward Earth. Do you think society would just break down immediately? I feel like it would. Uh, probably. <laughs> I mean, what What else is there? You I know, know I would. Personally, but, I would yeah. give up on – I guess it depends on – Like how quick it's getting here. Yeah. If Here's it's like another, 20 years from now, we might have a shot. But if it's yeah. next year, we're doomed. You know, it's funny. It's like the climate change problem is like an asteroid heading toward us, but we can't see it. And it's not going to hit us and kill us all at one time, <laughs> maybe. But it doesn't seem like a problem. Yeah. But lately, I know that organizations like the Planetary Society and Bill Nye has actually been out there talking about planetary defense. It's really important. In the budget last year, there was money marked for planetary defense for NASA's budget, which is really good. But Watching the sky, I feel like that's something that we can do. That's We can put money and resources behind it. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of ground-based telescopes. We have a lot of technology that can do it. When we spot something that's heading toward Earth, that's when we're fucked. Because <laughs> I personally don't think that we have the technology to stop like an asteroid that's the size of an, a city. Right. You know what I mean? We don't have the ability, right? Like if we needed to get to the moon right now, we don't have that ability. You know, we don't we're very lacking in our rockets and our in our spaceships and things like that. Yeah. What I love about Hollywood and and films like Armageddon, of course, there's two magic space shuttles ready to go in the film. Yeah. Just Uh, waiting. I love how they 
CGI'd Kennedy Space Center. They mm. basically just copy pasted the launch pad and put one right next to it. Like yeah. 39A was just duplicated. And the like Kennedy has never looked that good. No. It's very space agey, like it's modern. Very old school. I mean, it's the real Kennedy looks like an old government building, looks like a school. It looks very, <laughs> very old. And, and then one of the movies old. is always just very like yeah. slick and futuristic. Yeah. Jetsons yeah. looking. It's not. Yeah, we were like trying that. to figure out when I was watching it a couple weeks ago where they were actually shooting that. Oh, in the VAB. So the big in in the big scenes in uh, Armageddon where they have the space shuttles and they're like looking at them and they're like looking yeah. at the technology. That's filmed inside the VAB, the Vehicle Assembly Building. It's the largest single story building in the world. It's at Kennedy. Now, if you visit Kennedy and you go to the media center where the press hangs out, there's a little glass case. And there's an award and like a little trophy from the Armageddon premiere. I don't know if Kennedy Space Center people (laughs) were invited or. But yeah, they have a little thing marking Armageddon. Also, I visited Houston where they also filmed in in the movie. They go underwater to train being on the asteroid that's done at the neutral buoyancy lab. So I visited the that lab last year or two years ago. And there's an Armageddon poster just chilling there, <laughs> like right right in the administrative office. So, yeah, it's when you have a producer like Michael Bay and a movie director like Michael Bay, you get whatever you want. You get you can film the entire military. You can film at NASA. <laughs> you can film wherever you want. And that's exactly what he did. So yeah. <laughs> do you think you'll head back down to Kennedy at some point? I definitely want to. I want to for the next, the big one, the crude launch. Human launches are coming. Yeah. Out. Yeah. That should be fun. And yeah, it'd be cool if you became a space reporter full yeah. time again, motherboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be cool. It would give me an excuse to get down to Florida more, which I would definitely enjoy. Tell us a little bit about your day to day, though. Like what kinds of stuff you report on? <laughs> I don't know if it, that's, uh, I don't know it's if it's not, stuff it's that's not, of interest. It's okay. <laughs> no one's going to hear No, we're interested because, you know, one thing that Supercluster does is we're getting, you know, we're we're working with people who aren't space reporters yeah. currently i think the readers are interested in knowing what you know because some of you guys like you know dan daniel oberhaus he was at vice motherboard for a while and then mm-hmm. he moved over to wired but he's writing about energy a lot and yeah. we have a new reporter named jillian kramer who wrote about crime and different things so i want to do more space stories from people who have different perspectives and it's re- obviously yours is not completely different because you have space experience but please tell our readers about <laughs> some of the things Keep it PG-13 <laughs> for us over here. Uh, I mean, my primary beat is uh, technology and porn mm-hmm. and sexuality and all that good stuff. So, yeah, some of the things I've been working on lately, I just did a finish a big magazine feature, which will come out in the spring, about porn and parody and, like, the role of comedy in porn. Ooh. So when you see, like, those crazy, like, Spongebob in a porn uh-huh. videos come up or, you know, Legos having sex. That's... One time Sam tweeted a photo of a space shuttle that was very <laughs> sexualized. <laughs> oh, and, I, yeah. and I retweeted it and I got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, we did a story once about, I think it was about, it was about people who wanted to have sex with airplanes. Yeah. And that also included the shuttle. Right. People were making fan art I mean, of the shuttle. I mean, if you're going to have sex with anything that flies... The space shuttle is a pretty good choice. Yeah, it's very, you know, it's curvy. It's got. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're going to have to. It's pretty easy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Sam, since we're talking about sex and porn and 
we, we're going to sneak this into this podcast. Mm-hmm. Do you think people will need porn in space since we're here? Porn's been to space, so. Wait, wait. oh, that's right. Was that, yeah. I mean, those were, mag- they were like Playboy mags, right? Mm-hmm. They were like pages out of. Um, and they went up to the moon, actually. Yeah. That's Yeah, I don't remember terrible. which astronaut had that. Flash awesome. <laughs> I don't know. It was in their like mission right. kit. They brought, they snuck those in in the back of like the book. Do you think anyone's watched porn on the space station recently? I don't know if that, I guess if they brought like, I a mean, tape. I mean. They didn't really even stream it. It's here's the thing, you know. I don't. I don't think they have that kind of streaming capability on the space station. Maybe they brought like an old DVD. You could look. Here's the thing. Let's talk about human health and psychology here for a minute. <laughs> if you're going to Mars and it's a six month trip, a long trip, and you don't have a significant other, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? <laughs> Sam, I'm ordering you to look into this. <laughs> All right, I'll I'm giving you an assignment. <laughs> what are we going to do about, I mean, I, I hate to bring it up here at this minute, but that is something that we're going to have to look into. I'm sure we're not the first ones to wonder. Oh, no, yeah. To think about this. We need to, we need to answer some questions, and Sam, maybe you can help. One, has there been any you-know-what on the space station? <laughs> Two... <laughs> Are people bringing porn to space? Three, will people bring porn to space on their long duration flights? And what are we going to do about the lack of sex in space? Because that's going to be a widespread problem as like civilization goes to space, like as a whole. Like we're going to be working in orbit, moon, space station, Mars, you know, going further and further out. Like sex is going to be a thing that's like we leave behind kind of. <laughs> yeah. We're either going to have to leave it behind or figure out how, or to, figure out how, to, how like, to do it in uh, zero you know, gravity. <laughs> a lot of science fiction novels. I think I watched a film recently. What was it? Pro, uh, Alien Covenant. I didn't mm. like it. It was like a sequel <laughs> to Prometheus, yeah. which I liked Prometheus. But Alien Covenant is about a, a colony ship that's going through the solar or galaxy. And uh, they chose couples as like the crew, like the, you know, everyone that was recruited to the crew, Mm -hmm. their wife or husband is also there, which is an interesting concept. It kind of solves some problems here and there. But you know what I mean? Our first 50 years of going into the solar system, whether it's Mars, Europa, wherever we decide to travel, sex is like the last thing we're going to be thinking about, right? Right. You probably won't feel very sexy. (laughs) In space? In not space. feeling sexy in space? Probably not. Okay. I'm not sure I would in those <laughs> outfits. <laughs> Bruce Willis looked okay in his costume. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, everyone in that movie was yeah. looking Of course, they didn't great. send... They did send one female. Yeah. There was one female. There was she died air, eventually. Oh. I'm pretty sure. That's okay. At least there yeah. was one. It was a Michael Bay movie. Yeah. So. <laughs> like Could have been so. none. <laughs> well, Sam, thank you so much for coming into the studio today and talking about this article. We obviously didn't talk about a lot of the article because we want you to read it. But just know that we both love asteroids. Yeah. There's a really great kicker in your article, um, which I'm not going to give away. But the way you describe asteroids is like, hey, this it's like this thing that we have to deal with. It's mm-hmm. out there. They're powerful. They're big. They pose a threat, but they're also, you know, they're also interesting in that they can teach us things like Osiris-Rex and uh, Raigu, and they can teach us and they can kill us. So (laughs) hopefully the, you know, the first one comes first and then our ancestors or or, or our descendants, I should say, (laughs) will have to deal with the asteroid hitting the planet problem. Yeah, not us. Not us, not us, hopefully. 
Well, thank you, Sam. Thank you. And how can we find you on Twitter? How can listeners find you on Twitter for um, your other reporting? <laughs> I'm at Sam Lee Cole on Twitter. Perfect. It's rated R on there, just so you know. It is. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everyone. <laughs>